Thank Him, thank Him, all ye little children. God is love, God is love. Thank Him, thank Him, all ye little children. God is love, God is love. Excellent song to start with, Dave. Thank you for that. That verse says basically three different things we're supposed to do because God is love. The first one is praise Him. <clears throat> to praise Him, we've got to give Him credit for something specific He did. A lot of Christians say uh, praising God has got to do with an emotion, raising hands, getting into this feeling. It's got nothing to do with that. Okay, It can lead into that, but praise is about specific things that God did. Praise is something we're terrible at because we are so focused on what God didn't do or what we want God to do. We've got to stop and say, God, thank you for doing this. After that, it says love Him. What does it mean to love God? Got nothing to do with feelings. Once again, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. How patient are we with God? Or are we just frustrated? We need to love God in the same way we want to be loved. But it's got nothing to do with the feeling. Lastly is thank Him. Now, it's interesting the song ends where it starts. Praising Him and thanking Him, same thing. But they're both specific. Now, there's one thing that we're going to talk about today specifically that we can do to love God and to thank God and ultimately praise God. And the men of Hezekiah are going to address that this morning in today's Proverbs. Um, chronological, Solomon wrote, but didn't include this in his book. 200 years later, the Lord used Hezekiah to fix that. Proverbs 29, this is our last chapter that we're going to do before we head back to Kings. The king, by judgment or justice, establisheth the land. But he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. We have to remember with Proverbs that every one of them is designed to motivate me to do something, not somebody else. What does God want me to do because this is in my Bible? Now, we don't have a king, so we don't get to just ignore it. We've got to start thinking, what does God want me to do? Well, we have a president, but we have no control over him. So what does God want me to do? Always, in the book of Proverbs, you've got king, you've got prince, you've got different authority. It's all dealing with authority in general. We have authorities in our life. This guy, like Judas, gets along with whoever can benefit him. The king, whoever he is. By judgment or just establishes the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. Judith... Judas received gifts. Judas was the treasurer for the group, and Judas liked to take from the bag. And when the lady, which I think was Mary Magdalene, broke that expensive bottle of perfume, it really upset Judas because he thought, wait a second, I could have gotten some money from that. And so he, he used um, a traditional religious argument and said, listen, we could have spent that and used it on the poor. And Jesus counted that. And he said, wait a second. What she did was appropriate. It's more than just doing what is logical. 
when he went to the religious leaders, sometimes I think he asked for 30 pieces of silver. I don't know this, I'm just speculating. Sometimes I think he asked for 30 pieces of silver because that's what that perfume would have been worth. I don't know that to be true. Price, it's an inflated price of the slave. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was set at 20 pieces of silver. Correct, but the perfume, what was the perfume worth? It was a lot. Yeah. Okay. Lot. And I'm thinking that he's saying, you know what, Jesus, you did me wrong, and somebody get get back. Judas got along with whoever could benefit him, and as long as Jesus could benefit him, got along fine. Judas neglected those who needed him. That's what this person does. Judgment, justice, who needs me? Did Jesus need Judas? Well, it's easy to say Jesus is God. He doesn't need anybody. But Jesus only had 12 faithful disciples. From a human perspective, yeah, Jesus needed Judas or else he never would have chosen him in the first place. Judas turned his back on someone who needed him because he could find someone who could benefit him. We don't have to be a king to do this. We can do the exact same thing. Do I only like people who can do something for me? This is something that it's so part of our sin nature that we may not even realize we're doing it. Who are the people I like to be around? If those people had nothing to offer me, would I still like to be around them? This is a really a valid question because the king he's got to ask the same question am I being just or am I just enjoying the benefits of the office do I avoid those who seem to always need something who irritates me why do they irritate me is it because they never have anything to offer me This is some, some stuff that if we're not careful, it'll slip right over. Don't even think twice about it. I get along with everybody. No one gets along with everybody or else this wouldn't be there. Who are the people that kind of are difficult in my life? And why are they difficult? What if the Lord wants to use us to influence them? Justice. The person that I don't like to be around, if it's because they need something, what if God wants to use me to help in that area? Now, that doesn't always mean to just give them something or, or do something. It might be just simply to say, hey, let's look at what God's word has to say about your situation. That is the ultimate form of justice, helping them understand the situation and what God expects them to do from it. Or... We can just say, you know what, I, I don't like that person. The person has nothing to offer me. Why in the world would I want to be around them? Interesting. Proverbs 15, 27, He that's greedy of gain troubleth his own house. I'm not greedy of gain. Or is it just subconscious that I only want to be around people that can do something for me on some level? He that hateth gifts shall live. Who hates gifts? Okay, well, that's talking about uh, bribes. No, it's exactly the same thing as Proverbs 29.4. 
It's someone who just enjoys getting benefited by someone else. How do I tell if there's someone in my life that this applies about? I submit to you because it is so part of human sin nature that if we don't think about it, we'll never know. We've got to stop and we've got to say, Lord, please show me if there's someone in my life like that. Who is it that I just, I just can't take it? I just can't stand to be around him. And why is that? Who is it that I can't wait to be around? And what if they had nothing to offer me? This will reveal a whole lot about our motivations. Continuing on verse 5. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. Praise is specific to a particular act. Always remember that. Okay? A lot of Baptists do not understand this. A lot of Pentecostals do not understand this. They think praise is something that either they have to do or they don't want nothing to do with because they'll look like the other group. Praise is specific to a particular act. Flattery is never specific. God never, ever, ever wants us to go, God, you're great. We love you. You're wonderful. It's not what he's interested in. Okay? By the way, most Christians don't even give him that. God says, I inhabit the praises of my people. He wants us to stop and say, God, thank you for this. That's the ultimate thing that God wants from us. He's not an egomaniac. He doesn't need his... his, his, his um, ego massaged he wants us to pay attention to what he's doing because it shows us him so many times god seems far away because we're not thinking about the things that he is in fact doing do i lead others to think though they have nothing to improve on just so i can get along with them do i always agree with everyone i'm talking to This is what makes gossip so difficult to overcome. Because typically, gossip, talking about people when they're not there, it's real easy to side with the person you're talking to because you're only getting their side. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to side against the other person. Having this conversation makes both people feel better about themselves because at least they're not that guy. Do I ever in my conversations, recommend someone do something maybe that Scripture says they need to do, but they're not going to want to hear it. What if God wants to use me to influence them? If I don't, I'm spreading a net for their feet. <coughs> If there is something, and Wade, you got to stop sitting here because you're the oddest. If there's something about Wade that irritates me, there's two things I can do, and in the past I've done this with Wade. Either, you know, just, just, I'm going to stay over here. Okay? I have nothing against him, but it's like I really, really don't want to mess with him. Or I could say, Wade, can we talk about something? There, there's something that I think that maybe you're, you're not seeing. 
and I'd like to help you in this area. Both of those things will be a common response, but only one would be productive. Only one. Avoiding people never makes anything better, it makes it worse. Talking to them often makes it worse. I've had several people over the years come to me and say, you know what, I did what you said, Matthew 18 says, go to them privately. I did that and it made it worse. You know what I say? Let God do His part. Okay? We cannot go wrong doing what Scripture tells us to do. We can't go wrong that way. It may not bring the outcome that we want, but obedience has its own blessing involved regardless of what the outcome is. But to go to Wade and say, Wade, there's this issue that I, I just don't know if you're seeing it the way that I see it or maybe I'm not seeing it. And just, just very gently, very lovingly, very patiently kind of bring it up and just see how the person responds. A lot of times you'll find out that that will fix the relationship altogether. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth the net for his feet. Or I can come to church. Martin Wade, how's it going? Good to see you. Man, it's so good to see you. I love being around you. In my mind, it's like, get away from him. Churches are famous for this. We think people like us, and then we find out something they said about us. Yeah. And it's, it just crush, it's crushing. But it comes from flattery. It's just flattery. I'm not telling them anything specific about it in my life. It's just like, I want the situation to be, be good. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Is there something that I need to discuss with the person I don't like? If they respond negatively, then they'll stay away from me. But if I don't address it, I'm encouraging them to keep doing what they're doing, and that's not acceptable. Proverbs 28, 23. He that rebuketh a man... Afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. This is going to sound like a terrible illustration, but it's so spot on. About a year ago, I had a shirt. I taught my sermon. And at the end of the thing, when it was all over, somebody said, do you know you got a thing on your collar? They said, I couldn't even pay attention to what you were saying because that thing on your collar. And it's just like, why didn't you say something? Well, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I'd rather be told, hey, do you know that's there? And if I don't like what you said, it's like, yeah, that's minus, but at least I know you care. He that rebuketh, correcteth, it's not being mean, it's not negative, it's just simply saying, hey, are you aware of this? Or, we can just avoid them altogether. Six, in the transgression of an evil man, there is a snare. There's a reason the Lord says, no, transgression, don't do that, because there is, in fact, a reason there's a snare behind it. There's a reason the Lord says, do. Always do this. Why? Because if you don't, you're transgressing and you bring a problem on yourself. He doesn't have to tell us what it is. And that's the thing we've got to remember as Christians. God does not have to tell us what the snare is. Usually he won't tell us what the snare is. He just simply says, do this. Or there's going to be a problem. But he's not trying to make life miserable. And a lot of Christians 
we're so focused on what God is not doing. It's like God wants me to do all this stuff and He ain't doing anything for me. It's like, why in the world should I do it? One of the common issues that other denominations have about Baptists is we say that once you get saved, you can't lose it. And so the question becomes then, why in the world should I do what I'm supposed to do? I'm going to heaven anyway. And there's a lot of Baptists that think that way. Drives them, so it's like you can't tell me that you can think that way and still go to heaven. God wants us to do certain things because it's beneficial to us and to others. It's not about making life miserable. A lot of Baptists, particularly, I believe, they find out what the problem is. They find out what the snare is. That that because they're not interested in being obedient because they're going to heaven automatically. Other denominations, they've got to work to keep it. And it's, even though it's not scriptural an idea, it is very motivational. I think it's why so many denominations go in that direction. Mm -hmm. In the transgression of men, there is a snare, but the righteous must sing and rejoice. Why do the righteous sing and rejoice? It is not because of the snare that caught the evil man. And that's exactly what that verse seems to say. In transgressing, there is a snare, and the righteous rejoice. We don't get to rejoice over that. God says if you rejoice over your enemy's problem, God just might give you that same problem just to teach you not. Because we all are equally bad before God. We're all equally deserving of hell. We don't get to enjoy someone else's problem. So that's not saying that the righteous sin rejoice because a bad person got what he deserved. It's because they recognize the Lord is guiding them away from the snare. That's what makes us happy. I don't know what the snare is, or maybe I do. I thank God that I never got caught by the snare of cigarettes. And I can't figure out why I didn't. God protected me from it. He protected me from that snare. I can sing and rejoice, not because I don't have a smoking addiction, but because God protected me from it. All of us have snares that God protected us from because Usually there's one or two that trips us up, but there's a lot that we'd successfully avoided. Alcohol is another one. I can't take credit for that. It has never had the slightest desire for it. I believe God protected me from that snare, and I can say and rejoice, not because I'm not an alcoholic, but because God protected me from it. Or I can focus on what God's not doing. You know what? God protected me from cigarettes. He protected me from uh, alcohol, but kind of let me fall into that whole food thing. God, why don't you help me with that? Don't be so focused on the negative that we forget the positive. God, thank you that you did this. Thank you that you protected me from this. It will bring a new awareness of God's working in our life on a regular basis. Do I get along with the Lord enough to recognize what he's leading me in a lot of christians don't a lot of christians say god's getting me to heaven but i really can't figure out what else he's doing for me very rarely do those people read their bible very rarely occasionally but very rarely almost always when those people read their bible they're not studying they're just getting it done what is god doing in my life how is he leading me scripture is the number one way he will lead us but it's not the only way 
Okay, we can take scripture and make it say anything we want just by taking it out of context, by picking one verse that really does not uh, uh, mean what it says because other verses contradict it. You can make the Bible say stuff. So you've got to have the leadership of the Holy Spirit in there. What has God shown me in His Word? Praise Him for it. Or we could say, God, why would you put Revelation in there? It's just too hard. It's just too, I just don't understand why it's there. Why bother? At Park Ridge, Ben is preaching on Revelation. And um, Ben and I are, are close. We've been close for most of his life. And I have told him, I don't agree with what you're saying. I see where you get it. I just think it's different than what you're saying. And he is very um, kind in sharing when he teaches, this is not what Danny thinks. And he gives me a chance to say what I think. And I always start off with, I'm not the pastor, I'm not a genius, but this is what I see. And it works out very, very well in these situations. But so many people in the room at Park Ridge, they look at Ben's position, they look at my position, they say, well, those two can't agree with it. Why do I even bother? We bother because we want to love God. God put it there so we will, in fact, study it. Do I get along with the Lord enough to appreciate the ways that He does lead me? Do I even look for the ways that He does lead me? Or am I just so focused on the snare that other people are in, or maybe the snare that I'm in, that I don't appreciate the snare that He protected me from? Seven. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor. The righteous, those that seek God, consider the cause of the poor. In the last chapter, we saw Proverbs 28, 27. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes. It's the exact antithesis of considering the cause. He that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Psalm 41, 1. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. Not just noticing that they exist, but why is it they're poor? The Lord will deliver him in the time of trouble. How did they get poor is what this is saying. How did they get poor? It's more than just saying, I care about the poor. I want to give the money for the poor because that just makes me Judas. Well, that's a tough pill to swallow right there. How can I help them stop being poor? What does Scripture say they need to change and how can I communicate that to them? What does the Lord want me to do to help them change? You notice I didn't say anything I'd give them money. Very rarely in my life have I met a poor person that really needed money. Very rarely. A lot of them, I gave them money just to leave. Very effective, by the way. You give somebody $20, they'll say that they're gone because they don't want you to have a chance to get it back. But does that really help them? Does that consider the cause? Is that hiding his eyes? Is that considering them at all? What is it that is their issue? And do I care enough about them to actually help them see it and maybe even do something about it? But the wicked regardeth not to know it. Watch this. This is tough. He would rather just give them $5 to go away. 
You're saying giving to the poor is wicked? I'm saying if we are only giving them money, we're robbing them. We're robbing them. I would much rather be left in the cold than someone give me money to stay in the cold. If I'm in the cold, please tell me, hey, you don't have to be in the cold. Let's look at what you're doing and find out what you need to change so you're not in the cold. Money? Oh, man, there's so many different issues of money that come into play here. People that, that get trapped in a debt. We can say you shouldn't be in debt, and I do. But if we don't show them how to get out of debt, how are we really helping them? Again, this is such a part of our human sin nature, we might not even notice we're doing it. But I think that's why it's in Proverbs to remind us, hey, stop and take a regular evaluation of ourselves. Lord, is there someone that I need to counsel? That's a wonderful prayer to ask. And you'll be surprised how God will give someone, bring it right to your mind. That person needs what you got, but the problem is, is typically that person is somebody we don't like. We'd just rather they just went away. What if God wants me, wants to use me to encourage them, to counsel them, to help guide them? Now, what if they don't listen to our counsel? Now, this has happened several times in this room. In this room. Someone walks in. We'd be glad to help you, but we need to take a few minutes to find out what help you actually need. And as soon as we go into the room and then they find out it's going to be an interview, gone. Gone. Why? Because they go to two other churches that same night and get it quick. How is it that you got this way? What is it you think God wants you to do to get start moving away from this issue? How can I help you move away from this issue other than just giving you a $20 bill? Eight, scornful men bring a city into a snare, but wise men turneth away wrath. Scornful men. What is a scornful person? Ultimately, it's someone who says that what God has to say really doesn't apply to us. Ultimately, what God has to say doesn't work. It doesn't apply to us. You're, you, you just just ignore it. It's, it's, it's outdated. It doesn't mean anything in this situation. That's ultimately a scornful person. It can come on very many different levels. But the bottom line is what God has to say is not that important in this situation. They bring a city into a snare. And I submit to you, they're doing it right now in Orlando and have been for a long time. And they're doing it across the country as well. When these people begin to put God on the shelf and say, God bless America, and then move right on and ignore, act like he doesn't exist, they're bringing the city into a snare. That same snare that the wicked fall into. It's the same one. Am I doing that on an individual basis? Am I scoring what God wants me to counsel this person. This, this is some 
very, very tough questions to ask. And I think ultimately it's a part of why Solomon left it out. I don't think Solomon wanted to go here. And we get into to Ecclesiastes, we're going to find a lot about Solomon's mindset and to why he left this sort of thing out. Wise men turn away wrath. How do wise men turn away wrath? Wise men seek Jesus. They seek what Jesus would do, and they help other people know what Jesus would do. And you'll be surprised how often that will fix the situation instead of intensifying it. Acts chapter 19 is a great example of this. It's a little bit long, but uh, just ride with me in Acts chapter 16, verse 23. At the same time, there arose no small stir about the way or Christianity. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain into the craftsmen. In other words, he benefited the city by making these idols, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know what? You know that by this craft we have our wealth. The implication is not just us, but we're benefiting the whole city by this, this by making this industry flourish. Moreover, you see it here that not alone at Ephesus, but almost all throughout Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying they are no gods which are made with hands. That is an ignorant statement. It's, I mean, it's obviously they're saying that they're saying that these fake things we're making are fake. They're giving away our secret. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. The whole city is going to be brought down. And her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth here, here in Ephesus. And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! Scornful men bring a city into a snare. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. In other words, it was a mob. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him and they wouldn't let him go in. They prevented him from going in. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, said unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. In other words, go the other direction. You don't need to be in that mob. Some therefore cried one thing and some another. It's a mess because people who are scornful, they really don't have a direction. They're just mocking whatever direction the people do have. For the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not where, uh, where, why they were come together. Those ladies really didn't know why they were there. They were just kind of caught up in all the, the goings on. There's a lot of people there. There must be some reason to be there. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people. In other words, calm down. Let me talk to you. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours, Cried out, great is Diana the Ephesians for two hours. Imagine that. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of Ephesians is the worship of the great goddess Diana? Who in the world thinks that they're going to be able to influence this? And the image which fell down from Jupiter, 
Obviously it didn't. They thought it did. Seeing then that these kings cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet, calm down, and to do nothing rashly. Wise men turn away wrath. And I submit to you, this guy wasn't even saved. He just knew wisdom. For you brought here these men which are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, there are the deputies, let them and plead one another. Let them stop being scornful and actually present their case. But if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it should be determined in a lawful assembly. That's just straight wisdom is all that is. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. You guys are creating the problem, is what he's saying. They're trying to stop the problem, but in fact they're creating the problem. When he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. What changed? The wisdom was added to the mix. Nothing really changed politically. Just a little wisdom was mixed in. This works with any group of people. A little wisdom works with any group of people. My new boss, I saw him walking across the parking lot um, on Friday, seven o'clock in the morning. I rolled my window down and said, the CEO is not supposed to get here until 9.30. He laughed. He said, those days are over. Just a little casual conversation, but wisdom involved in there, saying, hey, listen, I know you've got this position, and we expect more from you than we got from the last guy. Just a little wisdom mixed in there. It's amazing what a little wisdom will do with any group of people. I was talking to uh, a friend of mine, this has been a couple of years ago, on a topic, not going to go into what topic it is, because it's a pop topic that everybody's got a strong opinion on. But we talked and we talked and we talked for several hours uh, as we both worked at the same time. But we, we, we got our job done, we continued to discuss it, and ultimately I talked him into a corner that he could not respond to in this particular topic. And I told him, I said, that's the reason that your argument doesn't work is because it walk runs into a dead end. He wouldn't accept it, though. He just got mad. Just mad. Because he wanted his situation to be the accurate one, and I showed him that it wasn't there. Three or four days later, he starts it up again. I said, listen, I said, let's just jump right to the wall. Oh, okay. He was scornful. He wanted to cause problems. A little bit of wisdom can avoid all of that. Even at church. Even at church. How rarely at church do we hear the words, let's see what God's word says about that. Except from behind there. We see the sermon, we hear the sermon, but the preacher has put it together real nice. This is what the Bible says about this. But then at church, there's another issue. Let's see what God's Word has to say about this issue. Very rare in church. It's, 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 
I used to call this sermon mode. Wade, you know exactly what this is, sermon mode. It's almost like as soon as the sermon starts, people just they click their mind into a different gear. Amen, amen, amen. And then as soon as it's over, they go back into normal mode and things are now a problem that we got to deal with and God's Word really has nothing to do about it. That should never, ever be the case in church. What should we do about this? Well, what does the Bible say we should do about this? I don't have any idea. Well, let's take time to find out what the Bible says we should do about this. Let's not be scornful. Let's be wise. I think a lot of issues in church or in any group can be overcome just by taking a few minutes. Let's be wise. Let's see what God's Word has to say. Let's do this the right way. It can solve a lot of problems. Eight, nine. If a man contendeth with a foolish man, whether he rage or laugh, there is no rest. The fool does not seek Jesus, and that is the problem. The fool is not seeking Jesus. He seeks selfish satisfaction. That's all he's interested in, which is unattainable. Whether he rage or laugh, there's no rest. You're never, ever, never going to appease him. You may get through the conversation, but the next time you see him, it's going to be something else. Does this mean we just avoid him? Well, we don't get to just avoid people. We say, God, what do you want me to do about the situation? Show me some way that I can seek, speak wisdom to him. I will never be happy as long as I'm trying to become happy. Now, that's a, a, a statement of wisdom that most people don't know. I will never be happy as long as I'm trying to become happy. Why? I wasn't created for it. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 makes it very clear we were created to make God happy. That's why we were created. That's a good place to start with these people. Let's take a step back from this. Why do you think God put you here in this world? <coughs> a lot of people have no idea. No idea. A lot of Christians have no idea. So can I tell you why God put you in this world? Let's look at Revelation 4.11. That's a wonderful springboard then going into are we making God happy in this situation? <coughs> or are we trying to make ourselves happy? If the wise man wants to truly help the fool, it doesn't avoid it, he must first deal with the relationship with Jesus. Always. Always. This is why the homosexual crowd hates Christians because very rarely do we go after the relationship with Jesus. We go right to the relationship with each other. And of course, that hurts their feelings. They got a wall of defense built up. Ignore the situation at hand and let's back off and say, why do you think God put you here? We'll be surprised how this one question will lead into a, a, a conversation to where it's like, they will fix the problem for, for, the, for everybody. Not always. If they're scornful, they may just, I, I don't believe it in God. Well, at that point, you say, well, we got a problem then because you don't have any ultimate source of guidance, any source of right or wrong. At that point, that's another issue because their source of right and wrong is um, uh, um, political correctness. 
So it's like, all right, political racist, that is right now, but what about the last thousands of years where that was wrong? I'll give you a good one on this one. Good one on this one. People should be able to love who they want to love. That's very, very basic statement in America and around the world. People should be able to love who they want to love. For thousands of years, groups of people have not been able to love who they want to love. For a long time, it was interracial. Now it's the, 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 um, the same sex stuff. A word of wisdom that will help them see something very kindly. Say, all right, let's assume that is true. People should be able to love. What about if you love a child? Oh, no, that's terrible. That's, what's the difference? Uh, 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 well, uh, 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 uh. Ultimately, only God's word will tell us who it's okay to be with and who it's not okay to be with. And if we avoid that, we're going to run into walls in our reasoning. Wisdom doesn't run into walls. Wisdom runs into solutions. Let's leave it there. Father, thank you so much for Proverbs. Please forgive me personally. Please forgive me for just skimming over it for so many years. Please help me to stop and to think, does this one apply to me? Is there someone that I'm just discounting because they don't benefit me? Is there someone I'm avoiding just because they're difficult? Is there someone you want to use me to influence? Please make me willing to ask those questions. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.